0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. So welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by four senior leaders within the Sydney technology industry, where we're going to discuss the topic of benefits of going serverless for your business. Um, And we're going to cover a lot of really interesting areas across this topic today. And we're looking at things like developer experience, um, when it is appropriate to use serverless, um, the constraints um, with serverless computing and other things that you should be considering. And then other things that more importantly, like the opportunities and positive impacts um, of going serverless for your business. Um, But I think first things first, let's introduce our panelists today. And I am looking at Carlos. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and what you're passionate about.
1: Myself. Well, my name is Carlos, and I'm from Chile. I moved to Australia around nine nine years ago now. Um, Currently, I'm the CTO of Trace. Trace is a startup. Uh, We have been in the market for three years now. Actually, this month is our anniversary. and then I'm passionate about. Well, I'm passionate about serverless. I've been working a lot um, in this stuff. I think this since the beginning. Um, serverless, um, in, especially in Amazon. And also, I'm passionate about uh, maybe CrossFit and training every day. Actually, I already did my workout. Then yeah, that is from my side.
0: Nice one. I'm jealous now. You've already had your workout done. <laughs> um, I'm looking at James. Tell us a bit Thanks, about
2: yourself. Shauna. Yeah, sure, Shauna. Thank you. And thank you for hosting. Um, really excited to be talking about
3: no this problem. topic today.
2: It's, it's very well-timed. So uh, I'm James Andrew Smith. Uh, I'm a co-founder and CTO at Pable. Um, my background's fairly diverse. Um, I've worked in um, a number of sectors over the last two decades, um, from building enterprise contact center CX solutions to upstart e-commerce platforms. Um, My specialty is probably working with startups from uh, idea through to uh, production and scale. Um, And normally strong security and high compliance are themes of the companies that I work with. At Table, uh, we're a white labeled uh, solution, so you you may not have seen us, but we help local governments modernize their payments, um, which really means we create payment experiences, deliver flexible billing options, Um, and simplify communication around uh, the payments that councils take. So take, for example, rate collection. Um, We were the 10th business to go active on the consumer data right or open banking uh, in Australia. Um, And I'm very passionate uh, about a lot of things, but uh, technology, using technology with purpose, um, enabling what uh, some refer to as uh, flow state with great developer experiences and typically a good playlist. Um, and all things data security. Um, and when I'm not at work, I think as uh, Sean said before, uh, you'll likely, quite likely find me uh, engineering uh, magnet towers or cubby houses with my three-year-old.
0: Amazing, thanks so much, James. Um, Quentin, introduce yourself, please.
3: Yes, uh, my name is Quentin Ning. I've been uh, working in the uh, software development industry about two decades. And uh, currently I'm at Class. Before that, I've been working mainly in the consultancy company, been working on quite a number of different uh, things, like video on demand, mobile app, banking application, accounting software, some, some ERP shop floor, like manufacturing shop floor system as well. Uh, currently at Class, Class is one of the leading self-managed super fund software in Australia. Um quite exciting for what we do here as in we interface with ATO and it's quite quite interesting in a way, if you if you see the sarcastic there. Um, but uh I, I was thinking myself as a person really likes to do software um in any angle, close to metal or on the cloud, both I like them a lot. That's me
0: amazing thanks so much Quentin. and um, last but absolutely not least Dara tell us a bit about yourself
4: hey how's it going uh thanks Shauna so yeah I'm from uh Dublin originally but I've been in Australia about 20 years I'm not from the Sydney vaccine I'm actually from Melbourne um so uh but so yeah I survived lockdown uh, and uh there is a there's trains going past on one side and there's builder on the other side so and uh, maybe just wave to me if you can hear, because I've been in my house so long, I can't even hear the trains anymore. I just totally blanked them. oh good. Yeah. So I, got a, I started, as everybody does in IT, with a degree in archaeology and Greek and Roman civilization. And then <laughs> uh, I went on a bit of a journey, got into Linux in the sort of late 1990s, which will give you a clue to my age and uh <laughs> i've been uh, doing all sorts of things but pretty much since the mid zeros i've been um doing other sysadmin or operations starting off there uh, but with dev teams and building operations for dev teams and working with dev teams even though i used to do a bit of dev myself so i think my focus uh has always been on enabling devs and making Devs go faster, but I've always been a huge technology passionate advocate too. But I uh, might be the art student in me, but I'm also, I'm always really interested in the sort of cultural side of transformations and the cultural side, the socio technical cultural side of IT, if you want to um, coin a term. But uh, um, yeah, what else am I interested in on the side? I used uh, all the lockdowns in Melbourne to. Uh, fine-tune my cooking and because I'm truly getting middle-aged, uh, I got into a bit of woodworking and things like this too, a bit of shed time, but yeah, that's me.
0: Incredible. Thanks so much, Dara. Um, like I said, we've got an amazing panellist here today, so I'm very excited um, to get stuck into this. So um, I think first things first, if we could kick things off and maybe like, let's talk about a bit about what is serverless, um, I really kind of get into that. Uh, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty about how and when and why we use it. So um, I'm still looking at Dara there. Do you want to tell us your kind of uh, thoughts on what serverless means to yourself?
4: Uh, yeah, well, I think plain and simple serverless is a, a very easy way of uh, building distributed apps and tapping into, um, you know, modern patterns and giving people flexibility. Um, so.
0: Brilliant. Amazing. Um yeah, guys, you just want to jump in and tell us a bit. Anyone else want to go and tell us a little bit about sort of your take on serverless. Everyone jump in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay,
3: I'll give you a go. So serverless is not really without server, it is server everything runs on server when we're posting on cloud, it's going to be run on server. Serverless is more of that. Um, we, as the software de- developer, we don't we don't manage the server we are running our code on. It's managed mm. by a platform. And uh, therefore, serverless platform is that they provide the services for us to host our code on without worrying about the server.
0: Amazing. Excellent. Nice, short and sweet. I love it. Uh, James?
2: Yeah, yeah, really good and great descriptions already. Uh, you know, for me, when I think about Serverless, it's it's really about, um, you know, it you know it's about giving uh, you know organizations the ability to run their code in a way where they don't need to necessarily worry about the operation of the server and where they uh, only pay for the time that their code is running, um, which I think is a key thing. Um, the other element and one of the reasons that we're going to get into that's popular is because you know there is um, often um, some solutions are built to allow the code to run closer to the user. Um, you know, in terms of, I guess, just for a little bit of context, um, you know, we use uh, a few different serverless technologies um, in our stack. So we use uh, AWS Lambda, um, which is probably the most famous and popular um, serverless technology. Um, we also use uh, a technology called Cloudflare Workers, um, which are uh, interesting and slightly different that we will probably get into today. Um, and then, you know, serverless is starting to get applied as a term to, uh, sort of other solutions in the stack. So, you know, uh, AWS have some products that are like serverless databases, um, you know, and then, you know, serverless event buses. So they're really like, they apply this theory of, you don't need to run the operations. You only pay for what you use. Uh, and you know, that's starting to find its way throughout the
0: stack. Amazing, thank you. I'm um, yeah. Carlos. Tell us a bit about your take on the serverless and how you use it.
1: Actually, yeah, almost everything I've been done, but say, but um, yeah, from my side, it's a little more than talking about this uh, evolution of stuff because um, I think we are in certain age. Well, <laughs> um, and then I know in my career, I started working uh, installing servers and doing all stuff in the stuff in real servers. Then we evolved to um, the concept of. Virtual machines I was really cool. And we evolved again to the Docker containers and so having a little now. The, um, the last step is the Lambda functions, like a, or serverless, like a, you don't care about even the container, you just um, care about the code. And then that is evolution for me is really interesting because I've been in all the steps. Um, and then now it's so easy and allows the company to build like a massive system in no time. But for me, that is more, especially in the in the side of the startups. Yeah, that would be amazing.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Dara, sorry, you're going to say something there.
4: <laughs> oh, I was just going to jump in uh, with what James is saying and uh, the irony, which I'm sure we'll get into, that uh, you can ignore the servers underneath, but I'm thinking that a lot of the technical problems that we're going to discuss around old startup times and things like this will be around the servers underneath. But I'll let you get on. Absolutely.
0: Amazing. Um, and Carlos, that's really interesting that you've been, you know, you've seen the, you've actually gone through the whole evolution of the actual servers now to serverless. Um, so that's a pretty enjoyable journey. Yeah, it is. Amazing. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, um, just before we kind of get, get kicking things off, I suppose we're going to go through a couple of different topics. And the first one we're going to have a chat about is when is it approf- appropriate sort of to use serverless? Um, and our panelists here today, like we all kind of come from different backgrounds, startups, medium sized enterprise. So I'm really excited to kind of get everyone's take on this. Um, I think, James, this is an issue sort of your subtopic was on um focus on this so tell us a bit about what you want to talk about when when is it appropriate to use serverless you can kick it uh, off yes.
2: yes and when i wrote this down um you know i guess for the listeners i'm sure everyone has come across um, an article that's been written recently by the aws prime team uh it's it definitely got a lot of tongues wagging uh, because they were using a serverless stack um potentially when it wasn't appropriate um, and uh, They've then obviously moved to a more monolithic stack and seen huge gains, um, and so definitely look up that article and all the articles that have been spawned from it if you're interested. Um, but I think going into going into any architecture uh, with you know the architecture first and not the problem and the business is probably a mistake, and so you have to be aware of the trade offs and you know matching to a business. So. You know, know, for us, it was appropriate for a number of reasons, but, you know, there are considerations that I think we shall probably just talk about, you know, whether it's the, you know, the workload, the technology stack, the experience of the organization, um, you know, the trade-off of, you know, is a business running something low latency in video, for example, or are they using, you know, a more traditional CRUD app? You know, what are you trying to get out of using serverless? Um, I think one of the reasons when it is appropriate is potentially when you have a small team and your business is very event-based, you know, it it takes away a lot of problems, you know, it gives you building blocks where you can get uh, a lot of a solution up and running really as as Carlos is getting out in hours or days rather than weeks or months. It gives you a a lot of advantage there, Um, but I might just throw it to the group when does everyone think it's appropriate.
0: Yeah. Jump in, anyone?
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree that it's uh, it's when you want to go fast and when you want to be able to experiment really quickly and when you want to, um, and you know, when wouldn't you want to go fast. Uh, but also tapping into the ecosystem, um, you know, in AWS, as mentioned, that you can tap pretty really quickly into the databases and the event bridges and all those kind of things so you can build a stri- distributed event-driven systems. Yeah.
0: Brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah. I can jump in. Um, yeah, I also totally agree with this stuff of um when you have a small team, because um that is something really um that happened a lot in the startup actually. In my case, I start by my own. And then just having one person working and, and you don't need to uh, take care about servers, all the stuff is uh, make the make the job super easy. But it's true, it's going to depend like always um depend on the problem but we are solving. In that case, for a startup is Pretty okay because the majority of the cases um, is building APIs, or this kind of stuff, and um, that should be pretty okay. I think it's um, important to have in mind um, kind of a plan if you need to scale in some cases. And because, in, for example, when you have a Lambda function, I, I will uh, speak more about Amazon because that is my uh, background. Um, but if you have, I don't know, Lambda running for a, a long time, then in that case, probably it's going to start to be not really a good idea, you know. For APIs, it's fine because you want your API uh, to be as fast as possible. You just want a latency of a couple of milliseconds, Then in that case, it should be fine. Uh, But yeah, it's not a silver bullet, but um, I think for um, starting quick, it's it's one of the best options.
0: Um, Why do you think it works well for startups? It's because of that you want to. Uh,
1: I can. Uh, I don't know if I need to uh, run an API again. For uh, I can do it in one hour, and I will mm-hmm. have a, a new API running and with a performance uh, good enough to almost any purpose. Right. Then that is uh, it's amazing because it's my, imagine the speed you can gain.
3: If I can tap in a little bit, so, so I think for startup is that. Uh, uh, it's very quick as the we, we, uh, we, developer doesn't need to worry about the platform or the, the, the services under the hood because it's already managed and also pay as you go is, is where, where it's very good for trying things out because you can be as cheap as you, do, you want. Um, to me, when I think about this question, when is it is um, appropriate to use serverless, I'll be thinking about uh, do I need durability? Do I need to share resource? Do I uh, those consideration will kick in? So if two part two, if the problem is really very as um, so one problem, I cannot break up. I'll be thinking twice before I will go for serverless. Well, if the problem is something that is going to be small chunk of issues, like uh, for example sending an SMS message to the, the user, then my service is probably going to my product probably going to be based of service, serverless to start with. It's just much simpler. It can be like um, um you can just chat it down with in the smaller chunks. So serverless will do that quite well.
0: Great insights. Yeah,
4: maybe I, I'd reframe it and say that serverless is um, really useful and should be considered when you're rewriting. Because in a, in a startup, I presume you're writing from scratch and you're you're not rebuilding. You don't have a huge monolithic set of architectures or code already so I know uh, where we are uh, we're choosing serverless for those kind of reasons because we are doing a rewrite
0: amazing so from your from your side serverless for large enterprise and regulated companies would be there for a rewrite is that what well, you say I'd that say, would be where say, you know
4: pressed. there's always benefit but that is a perfect time to introduce it
0: amazing okay and um the other thing I was going to, that has come up here is like, why does it work well for systems which are globally distributed?
2: I'm happy to jump in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we use, um, you know, and this is probably, you know, we've been talking a little bit about AWS technology and landers. Um, you know, each of the cloud providers sort of has an equivalent. Um, so, yeah. uh, I guess a platform that's a little bit different. Um, is Cloudflare. Um, and for those who don't know, Cloudflare operate. Um, they're, you know, I think somewhere somewhere in the realm of 250 different data centers around the world and as close to the user as possible, as close to the edge. Um, Cloudflare workers um, are built in um, well, they're built on, I believe, WASM technology, um, or a little uh, worker technology that allows you to um, essentially move your code as close to the user as possible. But it, it runs with some limitations. Um, it doesn't—you can't run a whole, um, for example, if you're using TypeScript, you can't run a Node server at the edge. That's not how that works. There are other companies that try to do that, but um, you accept some limitations, and you do, I suppose, very. Um, you know, targeted things, whether it's with APIs or um, with manipulating a request, um, and so that that works really well for um, globally distributed problems. Because if you can you know, you, you know, tackle some of that, um, particularly issues like caching or authentication and things like that, close to the user, then you're you're bringing down your response time potentially. It's not a silver bullet though; it doesn't work in every every instance, <laughs> but it certainly does help having things run closer provided everything's closer.
0: Amazing. Has anyone else got experience with, with something similar?
1: I'm, I'm working on that actually now. We are um, expanding to Europe and then we are preparing oh. the platform to, uh, um, yeah, to run in multiple regions. Then also that is something uh, um, is easier for us because uh, for all the serverless infrastructure.
0: Amazing. So you're using Here the cloud, Cloudflare?
1: But I, I haven't done yet. Um, then I, I can notice. I start just the planning. Um,
2: yeah, a great use you know,
1: case.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 there's you know some great is. use cases <laughs> where you can um, use Cloudflare to put... Like, you can have one, you know, say, for example, one... Uh, worker that sits in front of your API that distributes to your like the region that you want to use or something like that. And that, that's a that's a great use case for it. If it's going around the world to get data out of a database, it's not going to speed things up. But it's great at like manipulating a request in flight um, and you know allowing you to sort of uh, this layer on top of multiple regions of uh, on your architecture. Um, and uh, you know that that approach I've seen actually in. Disassembling sort of uh, monoliths and enterprise apps as well, um, where you might have a monolith you're trying to you know deal with a specific part of the API, and you can put a worker in front of that and start to you know um, pull that apart if that's needed.
3: Yeah, if if I can uh, share what. Um... I wish uh, when I was doing video on demand, serverless was more of a, a solution. So with video on demand, it's a very good use case of uh, using more distributed computing, especially like serverless. Um, for example, like uh, like AWS Cloud Front, they have this uh, edge. Functions probably similar to to Cloudflare, what they are offering. But back then we used Akamai as our CDN, where the video is close to the the user's computer for the maximum download speed, uh, and that's really good. However, when we need to do any any monitoring or tracing, similar to what Prime is doing about what the user's Sort of, uh, what they are seeing, what how they are experiencing the video playback. It's going. To, it was not very easy for us to do any any work that is close to the edge. We always have to we have to put our we have to provision our services to different regions for this purpose. Was um, quite costly as well. Quite quite a bit of a maintenance cost there as well. So there'll be very good use case. Video on demand. On um, the contrary, like a banking application, I think you can still use a uh, serverless approach. However, uh, banking you want to have the, the data sourcing from the the source of truth. So that part I don't know how probably not not going to be good for serverless. At least not the whole solution. Yeah,
4: I kind of I, I, well I kind of challenge that in a way because you know with venting and with bashing and with all sorts of things in the middle, and you can actually because you know you're talking about in potentially in banking you have systems that might be updated once a day when a batch job runs, and how do you like give the user the experience that they want to change a phone number and feel that it gets changed immediately? But yeah, there are definitely ways, and serverless is one of the paths to um, building that in. So you you
3: are talking about uh, by by uh, distributing the read read replica to uh, different places so that uh, it can be more serverless in that regard. However, the serverless function itself still need to read the data from somewhere. So perhaps some sort of serverless uh, database you're thinking. However, when it comes to back to the source of truth, the, the database for writing data too, likely still have to be somewhere more,
4: you know, solid. Yeah, but it, does, it still has a place then.
0: Okay, nice. Yes, okay. So that, that's kind of like an insight of how it can work into different industries there. Definitely. Um, amazing. Okay. Is there anything, any other points that you would add to sort of, or any areas that we've missed and when is it appropriate um, to use serverless? Anything else you'd like to add to that?
2: I mean, I, uh... I think we we talked about, you know, it's appropriateness for startups before. And I think I'll just come back to that and say that yeah. the, the superpower of startups is your ability to focus in on a problem. And mm-hmm. often that is really about the problems that you choose not to solve. And if you extend that into, you know, technology, um, obviously the, with serverless, you're choosing not to solve quite a few problems. You know, it gives you that advantage. Um, It allows you to do more with less if it's appropriate for your workload. So, you know, uh, people don't think about, I often say people don't think about the problems they don't currently have. And so if you're using a fully managed database, if you're using a completely serverless database like DynamoDB and Lambda, you're not thinking about how do I keep these servers running or what if I have a spike in traffic and I've got to set up, you know, uh, auto scaling, you're thinking about your product more. Um, And particularly if you've got, um, you know a team who are familiar with how to do it, and they've got the right tools. And I think we're going to talk about some of the um, ways to do that in a second. But if you've got that team and you've got that focus, then it allows you to get a lot of product shipped very quickly. And I think that's probably for me. That's the key advantage: is if you can find that uh, marriage between problem and solution, uh, it'll work.
0: Brilliant. I think Carlos, you've you've really gone through this very recently. You can probably really relate to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. But I think um that also um, you have a kind of a new challenge because it's uh it's true it's super easy to build stuff, but um but also you need to know what you're doing in terms of uh I don't know how and there are a lot of things you need to be aware about. You have this problem call start and um, how you solve the stuff. Um, you want um, I don't know how you um deploy the stuff. It's um it's true and totally agree, but I, I think you need someone in the organization with the uh, knowledge because you want to start from scratch. It mm. would be overwhelming, that's all the stuff you need to manage. Uh, they are not like uh, in the old time, but it's kind of new problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Which actually brings us really on to one of our next topics, um, which we, I think we should definitely jump into, is recognizing the service computing constraints and what else you should consider um before or when you're planning to go serverless, um, and you you were saying there about the false starts and do you want to, yeah, jump into that. Let's let's talk about that. I
1: can I can go. Uh, yes. It's a call the goal, the, goal, the goal start call start goal is one start. of the classic. Yeah, it's kind of the classic issue because um, because it's serverless it's, it's um the infrastructure they need to spin up a real server because it's not magic you know something need to. Um, solve the request you're sending. And that is spin up a new uh, instance, a new real server, um, handling your request. And the thing is, in the um, in the old time, that what could be really, really bad. Actually, when um, my first experience using uh, um, Lambda, it uh, yeah. could be around 20 seconds in, in the worst scenario, um, especially if uh, the Lambda were running in a PPC. In a private cloud, in uh, in Amazon, it uh, could take twenty seconds just the call start, regardless of the size of the lambda, uh, and that is not you cannot use that stuff because it's an, in an API you cannot have a twenty second uh, response time. Uh, but now it's, it's, it's pretty okay. And Now it's uh, it's one second uh, max in the in term, It depend on the runtime you are using. Uh, also, you have uh, techniques to prevent that problem, like having a, a warming up process to to warm up the lambda. Um, then now can be achievable, but before it was a, a, a big problem. For example, what is one of the issues you can have? Uh, and- other, another issue you can have is uh, you don't have control about the kind of the budget. Uh, you can make a, a big mess and uh, have a, a lambda running uh, in the background forever. And then the the bill is going to be you're going to be um, bankruptcy pretty easy. Uh, wow! And then, and then you need
4: you need to yeah, back, I could see everyone uh, nodding their head eye. for that one. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you can't tell you the true stories, but yeah, that could be yeah, I can, if it yeah, I have
1: I have real story, but I cannot <laughs> disclose those. Uh, but yeah, it can, can be a really really large amount of money. Then you need to be careful and keeping on uh, an eye on those parts.
0: So limited yeah, control it it. and unpredictable costs is a big thing.
4: Yeah, and unpredictable errors. I'll jump in as well. I uh, to say observability can be pretty hard. And uh, I know we'll get to the more social side later, like uh, as mentioned by Carlos earlier, like actually training the devs and finding the devs and getting people who know how to write good serverless code is actually pretty hard. But in yeah. terms of getting it done as well as code starts, um, I think observability has been one of our biggest challenges.
0: Okay. James, you were going to say something yes. as well?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to uh, chime in around uh, the, the comment on billing. I think if anyone has a takeaway from this call, make sure your AWS billing is set up with alerting. Um, there are plenty okay. of videos out there how to do it. Definitely do that. It's um, a matter of course, uh, whether you're using serverless or not. Um, and I think in terms of the gotchas, there's quite a few. Um, you know, you need to be aware of everything's a trade-off. Um, the cold starts is definitely one of them. I completely agree on observability as well. Um, and I think that there's also uh, elements of change control. Um, if you you know start just using this technology, um, it's quite easy just to go into the console and change code. Um, that would not be the way I would recommend to do it. Um, you know, it, it's very easy just to end up with code that's deployed and you don't quite know uh, who's changed it or why. Um, I would strongly recommend using infrastructure as code. It, whether it's through uh, the CDK or through Terraform. Make sure you have a pipeline that's deploying it. um, uh, Otherwise, you're not quite going to know who's who's changed what and what's been run. So change controls are a challenge because it is so easy to make changes. People tend to then uh, make them without those controls. And then the other potential gotcha, which does have mitigations, is developer experience. Um, if you're developing from scratch, uh, you know you're probably used to the development loop of you you know fire up an application and you can change it locally and it will auto reload and that's how it works. Um, mm. Not all the tooling out there for serverless works that way, although there are uh, good gains being made. Um, uh, I would call out a framework that we're using called sst.dev um, that enables us to have library live, uh, live load for lambdas when we're developing it across our stack. Um, And that's been a a huge gain for us um, because we've been able to essentially use uh, a real environment uh, as our development uh, environment for every developer in our organization, which means dev matches test, matches prod. um, Everything's wired into real events. We're not spending a lot of time trying to, you know, mock what the AWS environment looks like on our developer machines. So it's a gotcha. You've got to be aware that the choices you're making can um impact developer experience a lot if you use serverless
3: yeah so james thanks for that what was that the framework you you mentioned the the the, the thing you you use first yeah it's called serverless
2: stack um so not to be confused serverless with stack. the serverless framework yeah there's, there's a there's a framework serverless called stack. serverless which um sort of i suppose creates a common way of interacting with serverless technology across different vendors but this is called serverless stack. They have a website, which is sst.dev and it it drives towards, I guess, some best practices. One of those best practices is that you can use um, the AWS uh, CDK quite easily and it puts a friendly layer on that. Um, But the killer feature is really that uh, whether you're using, uh, I think it's uh, Node or TypeScript or Golang, quite a few common languages, you can get Um, a live reloading experience. And to dive, I guess, a little bit deeper in how that works is that um, it deploys a few additional things when it's in development mode to your AWS account, uh, which essentially means you have a local server running. And as a request comes into a Lambda, it gets forwarded down to your local machine via a WebSocket. So what that lets you do is you can make changes and get live reloading of code as each request comes in. And then it gives some nice tools for debugging that. This works really well for our stack. We use, um, we use uh, AWS Bridge for a lot of bringing things together, um, uh, which has been a, a fantastic technology for us because we have an inherently uh, event-based system uh, that uses like domain-driven design principles. And so uh, it's very easy for us to rationalize around our business events, say for example, I was going to say bill paid as an example we can then set up lambdas that are triggered from that very easily but we can also iterate on those lambdas very quickly
3: um, um, very much worth checking personally, personally i'm very explosive. So Enthusiastic about development, developer experience, and um, pretty much I'm a dev for twenty years or so. So, um, developer experience is, is important part to me. And uh, yes, thank you for this. I'll check it out. Uh, it doesn't seem like it is supporting step function. The reason why I'm pulling that out is that uh, the most headache that I am maintaining in class is a is a, a product that is based of. Um, State function with lambda functions, uh, observability for for the lambda function. This, there, it's not not easy, but there's ways we can ship the the cloudwatch log to somewhere else for aggregating aggregated search. For example, like Sumo Logic, we are using is very good platform for this kind of um monitoring the logs as well as the traces and, and metrics. They do they are it's it's something they are working up now. However, when it comes to state function, there's just no good way for us to actually pull out what's happening with the state functions. It was one of the drawback and the developer experience, yes, uh, I agree with a lot. Um, we already touched on that uh, it's not conditional as uh, what developer will be learning from the university. It's just a thing that the developer will have to onboard. I think there's one other aspect we didn't talk about is the, the perform Uh, perform a specific solution. So for example, with Lambda function, on um, AWS, is quite, it's somewhat different to the 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 similar uh, cloud functions from from the GCP the Google Cloud. So when when need to jump uh, to move from code from one cloud to another cloud, they normally going to involve some sort of refactoring and and the rewriting. So there is one issue I can see. I I know that there are some some framework that is extracting this part away, but uh, uh, to my experience. They don't really work there smoothly, at least not yet. So that's another pathway, I guess.
0: Brilliant. Great insight Yeah,
4: insights. I think, I think uh, that is definitely very hard, especially testing, and, you know, the desire to do a local sort of pre-commit test and uh, get some, some good results, even with CDK, we've invested heavily in CDK. Uh, and then, um, you know, one of the lessons learned is definitely not deploying the application with CDK as we started, because that is really slow waiting for CloudFormation to run, whereas developer expectations within seconds. I think also um, probably it's the greatest strength is also one of the biggest questions. Like the, the reason why we're using serverless, as mentioned, is that you don't have to worry about building, you know, event-driven systems and databases and everything in the background that you can just describe that in code and it pops up. But that is also a massive vendor lock-in and a massive, like, um, all your code is about one vendor. So if you need to do something in GCP and something in Azure, uh, what's how are how are you going to do it in both places?
1: Yeah, a little uh, want to jump in this one because it's a really good topic. Yeah, I totally agree with the stuff of the um, environment for develop developer developers because it's um, yeah, really important to have as In our case, um, what we what we are doing is. Um, we base a lot of our uh, testing in, in the unit test, basically, to try to uh, having a really um, strong unit test in terms of, in all the Lambda, we cannot test like easily, especially mm-hmm. in this back, background process, all that stuff. Also, we have uh, the dev environment, kind of real, the, the way how we create the Amazon account. We have different account for, uh, for dev and for production. Uh, and then the developer, they have fully access to the dev because uh, even though we could replicate some stuff locally. At the very end it's, it's just better to try in the in the real cloud. And now because of also for yes. the lambda stuff is it's not so hard. And we can just deploy every developer can just deploy in in a real lambda, a real Amazon environment. That is in our case.
3: Yes, I would love to add so that I think, um, I that is what we are facing as So, so uh, we we do have a, a concept of um, um, wanting to have our software more more locally testable. However, when when the team is under crunch with time, they often will just rely on the, the the cloud without localizing all the tests locally. So that if if the unit test is not connected to to the AWS services, which is what we are using, then it is not going to be able to uh, pass the unit test just because there's no no platform to host the code. And uh, yeah, that, that does make the maintenance quite. Bad, especially when the when the product, when the, when the team build the product, is, is being disturbed, disbanded, or 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 what have you, then uh, the maintainer of this project is going to have trouble, and and that that just um, brings up my another another issue that um I'm actually currently facing is that uh. uh Lambda fun- Lambda Lambda function on AWS from time to time the Lambda- AWS will deprecate the version the base version it is supporting for example for Node.js they are deprecating they are going to move they are pushing everyone to go on sixteen and and version sixteen and version eighteen because they are the latest LTS two LTS but the previous one they are deprecating and uh, I got fifty something uh, projects I need to migrate. Each one of them has multiple Lambda functions. I'm not sure if they are all going to work on the new version. So good luck to me. (laughs)
4: That's (laughs) a good point. Yeah. I think I'm hearing that um, if you build, uh, if you go and build a distributed monolith, uh, instead of a truly distributed app, that's like loosely coupled uh, you're in for a world of hurt with testing. Okay.
0: There you go, Quinton. <laughs> um, amazing. Well, I think we've covered a lot of those sort of constraints: um, debugging, testing, limited control, unpredictable costs, um, platform dependency, as well. Is there? Do you want to add more to that, or is there much more to to go in there? Have you? Have you do you feel like you've, you've covered that?
4: Maybe more of a fear for uh, bigger orgs or for the future of the startup. In later times. But yeah. Uh, it depends on if you're across cross-cloud, because you're gonna have to have different automation and different pipelines and different investments if you're cross-cloud.
0: Okay. Awesome. And then um tracing and metrics. Um anything else on there? going to add in?
4: Yeah, I'm actually really curious to hear what people are doing around observability, because that has definitely been a really big challenge for us. And the vendors um mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I can name drop our vendors, but definitely, um, <laughs> um, they're not all as good as they say they are in this space, mm. and it can can be pretty difficult um, to um, to observe it remotely through CloudWatch or whatever it is. Almost impossible, mm. but um, you know, what what are you, you people doing?
2: Yeah, that's that, that's a really good one. We've got um we've got a few different solutions in place. I won't name uh, any vendors who have changed their pricing, but I'm sure everyone would be able to put together that some have definitely changed their approach to how they build for serverless, um, which has made their solutions potentially yes. less appealing. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we're using, um, we're on a TypeScript type Everywhere stack um, for us. So in the front end and back end, we use a mix of um, CloudWatch. Um, you know, we've got obviously some skills for that because we're using EventBridge. Um, so we use CloudWatch and we have that set up. Um, and due to our compliance with uh, the open banking, we have actually a bit of a pipeline that goes on there. But we, on top of that, use a solution called Sentry, um, which is uh, fantastic for um, monitoring of, sort of key events, um, transaction, observability, APM, that sort of thing. Um, and so we use that. It wraps really well into um, our lambdas. We don't have to really think about it. Um, and uh, has been, uh, I suppose, helpful for us um, and that that's from an application perspective you know something unexpected happens. Um, I think the key is that if you have a lot of things running, you know we are, I suppose for some context, you know we're really dealing with payments and communication data which are very um, event driven but there are occasionally batch processes that do need to run is that we have uh, specific reporting built into those batch processes. So the way we're dealing with some of the shortfall, um in observability is that we build sort of explicit reports and statistics that come out of our batch processes so that we can monitor them closely and that if something out of the ordinary happens that we can work from them
3: i i can uh, uh, you uh, go first, uh <laughs>
1: okay. i guess that this uh, logging is a really um yeah important topic for me at least yeah, because i think something really important you need to plan your uh, how you're going to log this stuff because uh, uh now everything distributed is like a craziness because of how you can follow those problems. Uh, then there are um, stuff. For example, all the lambdas in our case, uh, we use the same format of logging. Um, one thing is having everything in JSON format. Like uh, every log is, is formatted in a, in a JSON because then it's easy to, to make queries on the stuff. We keep the same structure for every lambda also it's super important traceability in terms of uh, for example a request may start in an API gateway like from a from an API you get the request that is going to uh, generate an, an unique id that has been a lambda the lambda maybe can run a, a, a single lambda and it's going to spin up I want to send a Sqs message to be processed later uh, and we are able to try to trace all the process uh, to the very last lambda. And then we can see if something failed, we can check exactly where it failed. Um, And I think uh, with the current uh, Amazon service, you have almost everything. Like uh, you have inside, uh, you can keep all the slogging. You can make your queries and you can get alert, uh, but need to be well-planned from the beginning because if you want to fix it later, it's it's crazy. And try to find an error is kind of a... And then for us, it's simple. Every time we get uh, any error, we get a unique ID, and we can trust across all the service with that unique ID. And then we can see what, what the hell was going on. That is my.
3: Uh, I'll just come, uh, talk about a setup we, we are we are currently agreed to in class, and uh, we, we find it a good good way. This is a good way. Uh, I already mentioned one vendor, so please be bowed if I accidentally um, uh, mention any other vendor, but we used to we'll keep use different... <laughs> Yeah, different vendors. The the one star with R, the one with start with D, another one star with D. Um, you can guess. They are very good uh, vendors. <laughs> and when when you use their software, they, you use their, their agent or their SDK, it's like um just plug and play most of the time. But the cost mm-hmm. is always a thing. So especially when we put more stuff onto cloud, more stuff onto uh, serverless, the costing of the the log and traces we send to these services become much more unpredictable, and uh, therefore we are moving towards to using Open Telemetry. As in, pretty much we are uh, moved a lot of stuff onto Open Telemetry. It's really very useful. Uh, the traces and metrics we do use. Open telemetry uh I, I think the open telemetry comes with a number of it supports a number of languages and it is perform agnostic those vendors that i talked about they all now start to support uh, open Telemetry so it become a, a sort of middle ground we have the opportunity to to put the a service in the middle nothing we are doing that yet but we have the opportunity to put the open telemetry server in the middle to aggregate everything together then we will be able to you know um, sort of a portal the 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 logs we send to whatever application vendor we are using the, in, as a way of mitigating the unpredictable cost and also because uh, the SDK itself it comes with its own interface application program uh, programming interface so that all our code can be all our source code can be written down in a similar manner. So there was a very good uh, approach
4: that we recently started to Yeah, I think this is the same lesson that we have in Kubernetes as well, that um, what you get out of the box is actually surprisingly small. And, you know, the work that we do as teams, especially as a platform team, mm-hmm. is like actually building all the things, the logging, the tracing, the patterns for reuse and things like this. Um, that doesn't come out of the box for service either. Hmm.
0: Nice. Okay. Yes. This is very insightful, yeah.
3: Okay. Just putting the link Chris. on the channel.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah oh, just putting the link on the channel. So open telemetry is an open source uh, solution. so uh it's a very good community there. I learned a lot of a lot of tracing, especially tracing out of the open telemetry just by using this SDK. So it was pretty good. Beta.
2: Are you running uh, like your own services to receive the data um, or you're using a third party? That's
3: I'll be I'll be uh, honest. So we plan to host our own server, yeah, but uh, we currently send the send the um, log and traces and search matrix, sorry metrics and traces directly to the third party. The endpoint is the same it's using GRPC, but the endpoint is the same. So um, when we find that the cost become uncontrollable, then we will put a server in the middle.
2: Yeah, that's it. I th- I've seen that before as well. I suppose the call out, you know, one of the advantages being uh, serverless is uh, low cost. In the beginning, you can find solutions for this uh, observability when you're not at scale, where, um, you know, a lot of the solutions will accept open telemetry. And that is a, a good way of avoiding vendor
4: lock-in by using standards like that. Yes. However, I've noticed that the vendors charge more for ingress when it's open to Lemtree than, than when it's their native well, one, anyway.
0: <laughs>
3: not, not the one I'm using at the moment, but I am
2: familiar with that one too. <laughs> I,
0: I,
3: I'll, I'll change if my vendors start to do that.
4: Yeah. I'm also hearing that, um, you know, we're using serverless to go fast, and it's important that the teams are enabled to go fast Through patterns Mm. and platforms. But it sounds like we're still building quite complex distributed systems to support those teams. So that is another cost of doing service like any platform, enabling the teams and the two pizza teams to go fast by removing them, all the need to think about these things and observability and logging and things like this through the use of patterns. However, still got to write all that in the background.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That kind of it probably brings us on then, um to sort of um the i suppose I looking at more of the positive impacts and opportunities of going serverless. So why go serverless? Yeah, and tell us about like the positives and and the and the opportunities that you have all seen um and achieved through going serverless. Um uh, I know developer experience has come up a lot, but um let's jump into that maybe a bit more about uh, the opportunities and yeah positive impacts
2: that um, speed and simplicity. for us I'll, I'll just go quickly. For us it's been <laughs> speed to move and simplicity. Um, you know, it, it's all about the problems that we're not solving. Uh, so, you know, we uh we have a very we keep our stack as simple as possible. Um we keep the amount that we use serverless very simple. Um, and we focus focus very much on building building product within an architecture that's got very clear patterns. And so it's enabled us to you know, not work on a lot of things. Like it, it, you know, we're not necessarily working on this observability problem because luckily we, we found a solution that works for us early on. When we're, we're not working on um, keeping servers patched or anything like that, it, it, that's all managed for us. Uh, we're not thinking about our database load. Um, we're not thinking about the plumbing of our messaging infrastructure. We're just thinking about you know the messages and the value is sort of
4: building in the product.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I, I think. That's it. It. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Dara I was actually going to bring up a point that you brought up. Um, so I don't know if you're going to talk about oh, it, but it was. No, basically. I was going to bring
4: up because uh, James had mentioned about the superpowers of um, startups. Yep. I think one of the superpowers of bigger organizations uh, is that, you know, they don't run out of runway and they have big resources. And if mm. they can move as fast as a startup, because I don't think it's small beats big. I think it's fast beats slow. So if okay. they can move fast, then with all the resources in their runway, they can have an enormous yeah. momentum. So I think that is the real power of serverless to move fast. Brilliant. I
2: agree.
0: How do you find, because this is something Dara you brought to say, was migrating the developer's skills and mindset. Is that, have you found that a good opportunity to grow or has that been?
4: Uh, that can be tricky, especially yeah. um, when people have a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do already. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, you have to invest in the developers as well as like what we're talking about before like providing them a platform so they can go fast and they don't have to think about um you know end-to-end observability and then have to redo it every time but they actually um you know if they're new to the serverless paradigm and um we don't want them just bringing a huge express app over and calling it serverless we want them uh, thinking about how to code in a way that's uh, coding for a distributed system, coding for security, coding for testability, and all that.
0: Brilliant. And then you were talking about scaling a serverless into a platform for yeah. engineers.
4: Yeah. And that's, um, you know, I, I have uh, a bit of experience in building platforms and what it takes. It's everyone on the call has that experience. And um, uh, I was uh, I was listening to Kitchen Confidential recently, the Anthony Bourdain book, and it's very entertaining. But he was talking about the people who should not start a restaurant, and the people <laughs> who should not start a restaurant are the people who uh, they they're good at cooking, they're into cooking, they go to these dinner parties and everyone says, uh, you should start a restaurant, you're great at cooking. I think (laughs) a lot of people start uh, platforms naively without really understanding, you know, what Quinton was talking about, the big complexities and things. And you need some experience in this because I feel that it's the platform. Like if you solve that, the platform can really make people going fast. Uh, You know, we're providing patterns, you know, the devs can download their, their sample app and get going with a few Slack commands and in that sample app, you know, it has all the observability built in security, the patterns, the pipelines, we do the patterns in CDK and we have that reproduce and it's an inner source library, but then they can um, work on, you know, their dev stuff going fast and that's sort of combination that we have between sort of the devs who want innovation and the platform team who want, you know, effectiveness and security and all that kind of thing. And keeping it very tight is what a platform is rather than Serialist per se. So, yeah.
0: Brilliant. So that's how you are supporting innovation and effectiveness.
4: Yeah, that's right. By, you know, we worry about all this terrible stuff, uh, try <laughs> to, like with open telemetry and things like this, and they don't have to.
0: Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. Quinton Carlos. It, uh,
4: yeah, I find it very a
3: uh, uh, good incentive for developers. Um, of course uh, they will need their time to, to mm-hmm. learn, but they they the developers uh, at least around around me, they are all very excited when we talk about it now. Lambda, let's do do step function. They are all getting pretty enthusiastic about it, even though some of them didn't do a good job. Um, I think that they, there's they, not enough testing, but uh, I I find it quite a good incentive to make the the, the, the developer feel like they are make doing some some different stuff. So uh, it's a good incentive, intellectual incentive for developer to learn, and uh, often create a, a bit stickiness about the developer around our company. But uh, um. On the other hand, what are other benefits of it? Uh, it's really like uh, for for us it's trying things now. Like uh, if there's a new innovation, we want to get out of the door quickly. I'll be thinking to use uh, lambda functions, maybe with step function or some other some other maybe Fargate, like a uh, um, container and Fargate. We can also call it serverless. So I'll be thinking about using those kind of um, tools, uh, getting things out quickly.
0: Excellent insights. Thanks, Quentin. Yes, Carlos, what have you seen um, as, yeah, as major opportunities? Um,
1: yeah, actually, I it was um, because I was preparing the stuff. I was pulling some number of the platform because I think it's
0: yeah, seeing that, that was
1: it's, brilliant. Um, Yeah, it's better uh, to get numbers to compare. Uh, yeah, go for it.
0: We've been
1: operating for two years in our case. Um, actually, I was checking a monthly. Our API managed like a little more than 1 million requests. Um, it's a small company. It's not like this large stuff, but it's, it's one, uh, around 1 million requests. Average okay. response time is 160 milliseconds. And because the average is not really good numbers, you check the percentile 99, it's around 500 milliseconds. And percentile 95 is 200. That mean actually the API is, is pretty, pretty quick. Um you think in terms of uh, money, how, how much we're paying uh, monthly. Uh, for example, the production is around $300. And um, the total environment is $400. You include the dev environment. Um, and then for us, I think that is pretty pretty OK, because uh, uh, you check also our uh, uptime. It's uh, the API uptime in two years is 90, 90, 90, 90, percent we failed because uh, I was an updating database and they broke the stuff and then it um, destroyed my 100%. Oh. Um, but anyway, uh, but it's in two years. Also, the, in terms of deployment, we are actually every week, we have an average of uh, 14 uh, deployments to production. Uh, every time we um, deploy something, we, we merge something to the master, we deploy it direct to production. Then we are pretty effective delivering uh, stuff. Um, if we want to, for example, the API, is taking eight minutes to be deployed, and the, all the website is uh, five minutes. And I think that those are kind of the benefit for a startup because um, in terms of uh, number, we, have, we are working really well in, on those. Yeah, that is my, <laughs> I would like to share that one because then you can see yeah. how effective it could be.
0: That's brilliant. Super insightful. Does anyone else want to kind of try some of the the stats and the insights that they've achieved um, that kind of shows, you know, how how beneficial and what opportunities you can kind of gain from this? If you can. <laughs> it might be I, difficult. I can, in
2: of, I can talk about a couple of raw numbers, not all of them. Um, yeah. Definitely, I think, deployment time. Um, okay. You know, you know, the way that our stack's arranged is that Um, Similar to Carlos, we can choose to deploy the API or, you know, one API, we've got quite a few, um, but we can choose to deploy one or all quite easily. Um, If we do everything, including um, all our websites, everything, it's 20 minutes um, to deploy it from scratch. Um, So that's a completely cold environment. Um, So it's, you know, in that situation, it's very productive. But when we're changing something, uh, I think coming back to that developer experience, it's I think it's about the time that people can spend just in that loop um, working and where things aren't in their way. Um, and so if someone's set up, um, you know, plugging uh, SST again, if they're set up in their their sort of uh, dev mode for that, um, you know, th- there's very little delay. You know, they can make some change in the CDK and just needs to deploy that change. Um, but, you know, it's the speed at which they can develop and do features.
0: Amazing. Does
3: anyone else want to add to that? Yes, speed of deployment. Yes, it's really, really faster to deploy Lambda functions and say and, state uh, functions compared to EC2 based, uh, virtual machine based. Um, I guess it is because. Uh, we do wait for the, the health check On um, the function it's already you know it's if you call this up there it's going to trigger perhaps if we do call the the warm-up time will take a little bit longer like uh, carlos mentioned earlier it can take up to 20 seconds actually i have seen a bit longer than that <laughs> um, and uh, yeah but the uh, Deployment speed is really fast. I'm just curious have you, have anyone thought about push the compute onto browsers, users' browsers? I did some of those, of course, simple compute, but uh, as in putting, pushing the compute actually on the browser, then you can back into your, your um, static website payload and get it downloaded on the edge like a CDN download on the edge, and the browser actually can pick it up and work on the browsers. And for that, for things I did in that way, take 20 seconds most to deploy. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah I think that's really, uh, really uh, interesting. Oh, yeah. There you go.
4: Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, heavily using static um, content besides serverless has definitely been a pattern, but um, yeah, browser compute sounds very interesting. Uh, I'll just don't do your validations there, but yeah.
2: <laughs> I, um, it's a thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, yeah, I, I think it's a great thought. Um, you know, in terms of are we doing something like that? No. Have I thought about it from a technical, like my engineering hat on very much? There are a couple of projects I think that are doing some really interesting things with WebAssembly um, and pushing compute uh, into the into the browser. The, the, the first that comes to mind is a fantastic analytics project called uh, DuckDB, if anyone's come across that um it's essentially an embedded analytics database um, and they have a example of that running in the browser and i think that's a, a fantastic project but a, a great example of um you know building something mean can be ubiquitously deployed
0: mm. amazing okay cool well, i'm conscious that we're all have a hard cut off at 11. um i feel like we could definitely talk here for a lot longer so um but i think if everyone's happy we'll leave it there for today. um i think we've all kind of come to the, to that sort of conclusion that service is definitely about um speed um and improving that you know, developer experience and efficiency and effectiveness of that. So, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you all for joining me on the podcast and providing such interesting insights to such a relevant topic for senior leaders across Australia today. Um, Yeah, thanks for this whole topic around benefits of going serverless for your business. Um, So thank you all for listening and I look forward to catching you all on the next Evolution Exchange podcast.